Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined by the great Cooper Klein, and once again, joined by the great Garrett Johnson. He's at Half Wake Takes, uh, one of one of the best uh, one of the best follows on Twitter. I almost said that right. That was almost a good intro, but you know, we're here, we're vibing, we're getting through it. Uh, we're here to talk about some bigs, and Garrett, I guess. So introduce yourself, let the people know how you're doing. And then also, I just want to hear your your, your take really quickly, because you said it really well kind of in the opening. What's kind of been your overall takeaway as you kind of watch these guys that we were discussing, uh, you know, these guys before the podcast started? How are you feeling about the bigs in this class? Yeah, first of all, doing well, getting ready to move here in like the next week, moving to your great state of Washington. And uh, yeah, very excited for that, but also kind of good to fit this pod in at the last second. Um, so for me with the center class, I think it's wide open, uh, in, as far as like the pecking order of where bigs will go. Uh, I had, I, when I look down the list, I see a lot of guys where I say, okay, I'm expecting development this year and they're going to reach draftable conversations, but they hadn't, they weren't draftable alone off of last year's tape, or there were some major questions asked about them to prevent them from maybe reaching the top levels of the draft, which is why they're returning. Uh, so to me, I think this class is to me uh, has a lot of question marks, and I think we'll probably be questioning ourselves on every one of these guys we bring up today of whether or not they're going to reach those top levels that people have prescribed to them. Yeah, uh, that's I think that's a great way of putting it, and I'm excited to kind of break these guys down. Of course, we just did a pod on wings, um, so you know if you're if you're more interested in if that's more your flavor, wings and guards, go listen to that. Uh, Coop, before we get to any of these guys, how you doing? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm doing pretty well. I had a long day, but I'm I'm energized. I'm back. We get to talk about some uh, some great big men, some not great big men, but uh, we'll have some really good discussion in here that I'm I'm really really excited about. Uh, and you know, I I get to talk about uh, you know three of my favorite you know funky athletic mover bigs. So there's nothing that excites me more than that in the whole world. We have four. We each have four guys today. We'll get there. Uh, uh, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, 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 do you just want to coop? Just just take it away and and uh, and go first. Okay, uh, we'll start with Arkansas big man Trevon Brazil, uh, six foot ten, mega athlete. Only played nine games last season and uh, ended up having an injury to his leg that took him out for the rest of the year which sucked. Uh, I thought he was like probably the best shooter that was actually playing for Arkansas for the beginning of the year, which was kind of painful to watch. But at the same time, it was really fun. Uh, I think he's got, he can play some four, he can play some five, he can rotate, uh, he can really rebound. The shot blocking numbers weren't crazy last year, but he did have to play next to the Mitchell twins or one of the Mitchell twins at all times, which I think just messes with your statistical profile uh, just a little bit. So I, I really want to see him play more as a five this year. And I think with guys like Jeremiah Davenport at the four who cannot defend, uh, he'll have a lot more opportunity to block shots, solid stocks numbers, gets to the free throw line, just super bouncy. Uh, you know, he can really finish at the rim. Uh, 73% last year in, in really limited sample and the year before at Missouri, 67%. Uh, 
on a bigger sample. Uh, he's just powerful, and guys who can do that, shoot, defend. Uh, the passing isn't really there, but he's really just a play finisher. And, you know, when you have someone who can do all that kind of stuff, be a mega athlete and, and shoot the ball, he's the full package. Uh, he has a chance this year if he really can be like a, you know, a key piece for this Arkansas team. He has a chance to be, uh, you know, my top rated big out of college. So what are y'all's thoughts? Yeah, for me, I'm really, really interested by the tools and I'm, I'm hoping that he comes back and just immediately looks healthy. Uh, he's, he got, had his injury early enough in the year that I'm hoping that he'll be ready for, to go. Um, I, I kind of, I'm not sure that he could play the five for me personally. I do think that he's kind of all limbs, uh, really long wingspan, very skinny. Uh, I, I, I just think that he could probably play center for Arkansas this year, but I wouldn't necessarily want him to do that in the NBA, but as a four man who can space, I'm very interested by it. Guy who can really, uh, move around the court very well. I do think that his, um, off-ball defense to me could maybe be improved a little bit. It did feel like he was kind of still finding his place in Arkansas scheme last year by the time he got injured. So I'd like to see like some, some of that get cleaned up, some of the field stuff get cleaned up. But man, those tools are so enticing. Uh, a guy who I could easily see going first round or I could easily see coming back into the year. It's, it, I think his outcomes are all over the place. I think the one thing that makes me specifically positive on Brazil as a draft guy this year, if he's fully healthy, um, is that I think they're desperately going to need him to play a lot. And they have uh, guards who can kind of make some plays for him, uh, you know, especially if um, Layden Blocker gets to play some, which I don't know if he will. But Layden Blocker is one of my favorite passers in this uh, incoming freshman class, um, I think could be a really effective pick and roll partner with him love brazil's just overall offensive game even though he's not a very good passer like as a play finisher he's i mean it's such an obvious comparison but he's like miles turner-esque in terms of just play finishing and i think that's something that will always entice even though uh i'm one of the people who agrees that like shooting bigs can be overrated it's still if you get a big who can actually shoot not that overrated it's just that a lot of them can't actually shoot and i think brazil can shoot that's the one thing i am super confident in Everything else is a bit of a question to me. I think his defensive feels pretty bad. I think while he definitely has some uh, some solid moments as a lateral mover, his footwork is still pretty behind. And obviously a year sitting on the bench is not really going to improve that. Um, I'm not sure what he looks like in the NBA, but I, I'm with you, Garrett, that it's like he's definitely worth a bet somewhere, I think. Like no matter what, unless unless he's not healthy and like it doesn't look like he'll ever be healthy, I would probably draft him just because, I mean, worst case, he's out of the league, whatever. But, like, best case, he could, you know, be a really valuable rotation player. So that's someone I'm very interested in. Um, could you have any other thoughts on on Brazil, or is uh, Garrett good to go? No, Garrett, that's all you. Uh, he's he's my GOAT. So <laughs> very, ex- very excited to watch him and Tremont cook the SEC this year. That Arkansas team is such a mess. Oh, my goodness. Don't it's... even get me started on how disgusting that team is going to be. But it can, must, to... can must rate in that many oh. combo guards. Can he, can he turn Devo Davis into, into the best point guard in the SEC? 
We shall see. I'm so scared to watch them this year. I don't know. It's going to be really messy. He he went from right, one last thing on Arkansas. Sorry. I, you've said one last thing like 40 times today already, but uh, he, they went from zero shooting last year to completely overcorrecting and getting every single random player that can just kind of shoot it a little bit. It's like, Oh, I know that we really like defense, but let's go get Jeremiah Davenport for one of our spots. <laughs> whose only thing is being tall and shooting and like Khalif battle. Who's the same, like he can kind of shot create, but. Oh, that's uh, really all he, he really does to be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, it's this <laughs> but, team, a mess. Yeah. Where, where would you have Brazil? If you were like place him in last year's class, let's like assuming health. Assuming health. Okay. Let me pull up my board. I'm going to stall for time real quick. Uh, there was a point in the year where I did have him top 20. Um, I think, I think I would end up with him in the 16 to 20 range. I think I would end up like above my, like at either at the top of my first round tier or at the end of my late lottery, I'd probably have him above Colby Jones and below Taylor Hendricks. If you know, gotcha around there. Cool. Um, so I'm going to jump into a guy who I think is more of a second round shot. Uh, in this coming class, I'm talking about Aziz Bandego. Uh, played at Utah Valley last year, playing at Cincinnati this year. Uh, he's a seven footer with a seven three wingspan. Uh, very new to basketball. I don't have the exact information available, but from what I can understand, he's probably learned, started playing basketball within the last five years, six years. Um, he's more than just a seven footer, he's a super high level athlete who can take the uh, the top off defenses in transition, led, the, led D1 in dunks. If you didn't watch Utah Valley last year, I'm not surprised, but I do think you'll be finding out that you missed out because their offense is fun. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with Bandego constantly rolling to the rim and just cre- and having great lobs from his teammates and just electrifying an offense. I'm so excited for Cal next year. Uh, their coach is moving. My, uh, coach Madsen's moving from Utah Valley to Cal. Super excited for my Bears. But I think it's uh, I think with Bandego, the main thing is the dunking and the rolling to the rim. I, his feel is in the early stages, and it, it's clear that he's new to basketball. Um, when he's not rolling to the rim, pretty much the only offense they really run out of him are is DHO stuff, where he's pretty slow to make reads. And then if he gets the ball in the blo- at the block, he's not really making decisions out of it. He's just going to post you up. And, ho- and hope that it goes well. So for me, I think the feel is something that has to grow pretty quickly at Cincinnati. We ha- there needs to be some progress seen there before I'm really excited about him. Uh, but to me, defensively, he was leading. He was fourth in Division One in blocks per game last year. But honestly, watching the tape, he should have led D1 in blocks easily. But I think that he's actually his blocking instincts aren't actually all the way developed yet he can be kind of tentative to contest shots that really aren't putting him in a difficult situation he can be tentative to give help around the rim as well so to me i think that he could be a truly elite shot blocker if he were to reach his full potential especially with the tools he has and to me i think bandaga is one of those prospects it's like a question of how you're how much you're willing to forgive some field efficiencies in favor of athletic tools. I think he should be like graded out as a project player who can at least have an immediately transferable skill in his rim running. But 
there's just not a ton more to his game right now. I, I'm curious if you all have watched Bandago and if you all have any thoughts. I've watched a good amount of Utah Valley, mostly because I really enjoy watching Trey Woodbury. Um, and I know like he's in like this weird transfer spot, but and he's older, but he's probably a guy who I would have drafted this second round last year just because why not? Like he's a good athlete who can really shoot and make plays for others, but that's a tale for another. He's he's kind of like Garrison Matthews. Uh no, just kidding. Um, but uh I what I, my thing with Bandego is just he's a player who is not at all my speed. Um, I tend to be very out on these like pure rim runner bigs who I don't see as outlier good rim protectors. Um, I think the difference between someone like, uh, you know, I, I looked him up actually before the pod just because I Aziz sort of reminded me of him, like a, a Lucas Noguera and your, I, I, I don't know, JaVale McGee is like a higher end example of this. I'm trying to think of just like a moderate backup rim runner and my brain is not working right now. But the difference between those guys is, generally kind of small and i think it's it's really hard to say without a, a you know a ton of depth and uh I, I have to be really in on a guy to buy them to to you know fill that role at a high level and bandago you know the thing that really bothers me is you mentioned it like his lack like despite being such a good shot blocker his lack of like get toativeness like as a shot blocker when it comes to you know uh, there's not there's like this thought sometimes that like every time you go for a shot block you might be leaving an offensive rebound on the floor right but he over indexes to boxing out when there's no other help at the rim there that kind of bothers me I think he gets a little worried about fouls um, despite not being I I don't think like a particularly foul prone player um, so I just I, I I don't know he he's not he's definitely solid but he's already 22. Um, he's going to be playing behind next to or not at all at Cincinnati because they have Victor Lockin and also he might not get a waiver. I, he's just not really my type, um, but there's I, I I could see him carving out like a fine role in the NBA for sure. I have not seen any of him, but I hope that he does get to play this year and play over Lockin. I think that we'll really get to see what he can do against big 12 competition. If he can actually play, I don't, I don't think Lockin's that good, but uh, you know, we'll see. I think Lockin will play over him anyways. He has the, uh, you know, more time spent there, even if he's a little younger, that kind of thing, more time under the coach, but I'm really excited. I hope that I get to see him play this year. So y'all put me on. I did want to underline what Bryce mentioned that he is 22. Um, I did mention that he was fairly new to basketball, but he has been, in the college system for three years now, redshirted, I think his first year at Akron, second year at Akron, nothing substantial. And it's only this past year at Utah Valley where things really uh, shine for him. So he is an older prospect. So on top of being a project guy, he's kind of, you know, at the age where you're starting to say, okay, you're going to need to be able to show something immediately on the NBA floor. And to me, that's a big question mark and partly why to me, he's like a late second round bet. And maybe we see him have a big breakout year, but I'm not necessarily banking on it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a that's a great point. So in our last pod we did together, we were mostly talking about guys we were pretty positive on, uh, at least as compared to consensus, um, or at least the individual one who was giving the pitch, right? Like, you know, Co- Garrett might not have been as high on Arsenal as Coop, but Coop giving the pitch was high. 
we're doing things a little differently this pod because there are a couple guys that we felt like we needed to talk about who we are not particularly high on. And one of those is Kalel Ware. Uh, Kalel obviously played at Oregon for one year last year, was a highly touted recruit. He was a top 10 player for me even entering last year. I had had some of the motor concerns and I had heard some off the court stuff, but I thought the talent was too good that, and I thought he would be a really good fit in Oregon. Um, so I had a preseason top 10 played in only 38.3% of Oregon's minutes by the end of the season was basically completely out of the, out of the rotation. Um, some of his stats from last year, uh, just I, 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 Garrett Cooper, I don't even know if you guys realize some of this, he missed 10 dunks last year, 27 of 37 on dunks. Uh, that's insane for a seven footer. Um, he shot 55 threes uh, and shot only 27.3%. So, you know, almost two threes a game. If you did like his threes per minute, I'd imagine it's pretty solid. Uh, it had a um, 6.0 three-pointers per 100 possession rate, um, which is pretty high for a big. 71.2% from the line is okay. Six, uh, 42.6% on far twos. The 8.8 block rate is what really stands out. Um, he's young. He played uh, at... Uh, Little Rock or North Little Rock uh, with um, with Nick Smith Jr. in high school. He's obviously transferring to Indiana. Ware is not someone I'm particularly high on. Um, I do still buy that he can shoot, and I buy that he's a good role man. Um, and I even buy that there's real defensive upside there. But the motor concerns that I had in high school but wasn't too concerned about uh, reached a fever pitch in college where – Literally every time he was on the court, he looked like he wanted to be on the bench instead. And when he was on the bench, he looked like he wanted to be at home. Um, I got to see him in person. <clears throat> and the way he phoned it in at warmups is like something I've never seen. Um, you know, I, I've watched quite a few warmups in my time at WSU, right? I always went to games an hour before men's and women's. Saw plenty of prospects warm up, including players like Haley Jones and Chris Osborne on the women's side, Benedict Matherin, Azua Stubelis. I have never seen a player bring the energy of a team down more than Kalel Ware. And I don't want that to be everything, right? Because it's not. And obviously, he's young. Things like this can be overcome. Uh, but when a fan in the first row can see that, I could only imagine how obvious it must be to scouts that have followed him for multiple weeks, to the staff. I mean... It really was something, like I said, I've, I've really never seen before. And uh, it showed on the court. I feel like his activity level on defense is virtually non-existent. He block chases like crazy. Um, he's not really ever boxing out. He is a solid defensive rebounder just because he's long and athletic and he has a good nose for kind of where the ball is going to bounce off. So he goes to, he hunts those, but um, I would not call him a, a plus rebounder in projection because he doesn't ever box out. Um, he doesn't do any of that type of stuff. Um, he's a really bad passer. Uh, and I think Indiana is going to feature him a lot. Like, I think he might lead their team in usage um, because they they want to run two bigs. They want to run a post-up big. Mackenzie Mbako, I'm low on him, but even if you're high on him, he's not someone who can, like, handle the ball and pick and roll a ton. And they don't really have a point guard. They don't really have a replacement for Jalen Dechfino. Um, so is it going to be Trey Galloway running a ton of pick and roll? No, it'll probably just be Kalel Ware posting up. Um, and I think it could be a disaster. Um, and he's getting a lot of top 10 pick buzz, buzz, excuse me. 
I don't think Indiana is a good place for any prospect. I really don't think it's a good place for Kalel Ware. And um, while there's some intrigue with to his game in a similar way to Brazil, minus that type of fluidity on the perimeter, I'm just not really there. Um, Garrett, do you have any thoughts on, on where and where he's kind of at consensus versus where you have him? I'll start with Indiana. I really hope they play Malik Renew over him if they're going to have a post-up big. Uh, I think they'll just play both next to each other, to be honest. That's what they'll do. And they'll both post up a ton. And then Mbako off the the wing or just a three-big rotation? Uh, I mean, Mbako can shoot at the very least, Like, and I think they'll play him at the three and just have him be a pure – I honestly think like you'll kind of see where and – where and and Renault in like the race Thompson Trace Jackson Davis roles uh maybe with the one who's the race getting a little bit more usage than race got uh and Mbako will play the Miller cop role if I'm if I were to guess gotcha yeah it's it's a it's a weird personnel grouping but um I I had a very similar experience watching Khalil unfortunately uh went an hour before the game against cal and saw him pretending to do workouts but at, but then he was faking them and not actually doing them while his coaches weren't looking had to have coaches repeatedly come over to him try to get his energy up and get him to actually do walkthroughs uh very disappointing year from him i, I was i was already kind of not a fan from his play in high school to be honest but i just kind of like you said it all kind of happened every, every every concern kind of bore out at Oregon I will say Dana Altman uh did have a very tight leash with him throughout the year and anytime he made a mistake he went straight to the bench because they had other personnel who could play center um it led to him I think playing very uh tentatively um at times I think he's already kind of tentative and by nature but it, it really I think cascaded throughout the year and got worse and worse uh, for me, I think we're talking about the missed dunks. We're talking about him having this perimeter skills. I think a lot of it is that he's really chasing highlights far too much. Like that's a very, you know, a lot of players coming from high school are used to being able to make these highlights and having that be like the highlight tape is what gets talked about rather than your performance in the game when you're at that highest level. To me, I think it just was really to the extreme with him last year, chasing blocks, trying to make every dunk a complete poster trying to hit threes constantly off the wings. Uh, he's try he practices a lot of th- like movement threes in practice that he's never going to be allowed to take in a game. Uh, to me, I- I'm just kind of out and he has to convince me to be back in. Uh, I wouldn't put him on my board to start the year personally. Um, but you know, that it- it's a shame because the talent's really apparent and I would like it. Uh, I would like him to, be successful with it but it's it's going to take a mindset change i think yeah i don't really have much else to add uh so if y'all are okay i'm going to slide over to somebody who's a lot more positive in day ron holmes the second uh played for dayton last year someone who i i would have had top 20 top 22 on my board uh last year just a truly dominant <laughs> uh interior physical big had 91 dunk attempts. I think he led uh, D1 in dunks, despite not he was either he either led it or was second. Uh, Bandago caught him just because Bandago played more games at the end with the uh, NIT. Mm, okay, so but Dayron didn't play with a point guard, 
and it still had 89 of 91 dunks. Just incredible. 72% at the rim, uh, at dominant force on the defensive end around the rim. He can really, he can play a few different schemes. He's big, he's strong, um, you know, only 6'10", but can really jump. I, I feel weird saying only 6'10", as someone who has watched P.J. Tucker play center and a lot of other short bums play center. But it, it, he can rebound. He can just do everything that you want a big man to do. And it seemed like when he went out, the only thing the NBA could focus on was, yo, bro, why aren't you shooting? What, what's going on? Why don't you have a three-point shot? And I think that's kind of kind of bullshit, kind of very bullshit. You can kind of pass. He he's good, great hands, really gets to the free throw line. He's tough. He's just everything that you want your center to be, right? I think that there's such a premium in the NBA on on centers who don't demand a ton of usage and still do all the shit that centers have to do. And that's Dayron. It's it's just so obvious with him to me. And uh I, I think he, he could come out and probably be a you know a top 18, 16 pick for me this year because he's just everything that you want in a center who can start, he can come off the bench, uh, he can just do all the center shit. I, I love it. And I know you guys do too. Okay. So so anything else to add? Yeah, I, I love Dayron. He's probably the guy I'm the highest on of anyone we're going to talk about today. Um, for me, I think he's a defensive genius. I, I think not only does he have outstanding technique, his feel for the game and anticipation skills are just by far none. Plays exactly what Dayton needs out of out of their big defensively. I, I also am just like watching his tape. I was expecting it to be so bad offensively because Dayton's offense was so poorly equipped to bring the best out of his skill set. And it wasn't. I mean, he was still managing to be this, the dominant post big with a little bit of mid range game, you know, uh, a little bit of short roll stuff. To me, he was like repeatedly just taking over games despite the de- opposing team knowing exactly that what Dayton was going to ha- do until they got Malachi Smith back. I-, I-, I did not understand why teams weren't more interested in him, particularly once the class started thinning out and it was apparent that um, guys at the end of the first weren't going to be a typical talent level guys in the end of the first. So for me, I, I-, I have him probably going into the year close to the lottery, if not in there. Um, and I would gladly take him and hope that he can become my starting center. And if not, he's an outstanding backup center. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I echo everything you guys say. I would draft Daron Holmes top 20 tomorrow, especially in this class. I would have drafted him top 20 in last year's class, a, a much stronger class. Um, I just think NBA teams are really overthinking him. Or maybe underthinking him. I don't know. I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I thought it was a complete, uh, maybe maybe like the biggest collective NBA disaster last year to let that guy go back to school. Uh, because not only you know is are are you not getting this player who's really good on your team? I think it's also going to probably be a lost year of development for him. I don't trust Dayton to put. Uh, the the team around him to maximize him offensively. They asked him to put on weight and to post up more last year. And it's just like, what are we doing? I mean, Tamani Kamara went and got drafted, and he was the third best player on his own team. I just, 
I, I really did not see what the NBA was doing. So completely second you all there. Uh, Garrett, you're up with uh, our next guy. Yeah, I'll just make a note that I, it, it was very weird last year to basically hear about all the decisions that were made by guys who were kind of on the fringe in the draft space uh, on, on the deadline day. And it seems like teams just were unwilling to commit to anyone past, you know, 30, 30, maybe early 30s. There were a couple teams that told guys that they would take them. But ultimately, it was just so many prospects last year were just left completely in the dark on whether or not they're going to be selected. And it really harmed, I think, the, not only the prospects who had to go back to school in a year where they're ready to come over to the league, but also hurt teams because they kind of shot themselves in the foot by being non-committal. And then the talent pool for the end of the draft last year was really, really weak. I mean, we saw Chris Livingston get drafted and given a full NBA contract. I think that's a perfect, that, that's just, and I'm, I did not even hate Chris Livingston as much as some people, but like, the Bucks had to draft someone to give like an actual real contract to, and that was the best option they could come up with because they were like, uh, "Holy shit!" Um, so no, I I am completely with you. I think I think we're kind of entering this new realm with kind of the NIL stuff and the fifth year senior stuff, where uh, players are less likely to bet on the draft unless they're kind of in. Like, there's definitely some guys who like loyalty really matters, so they don't want to transfer out even for NIL money or whatever, and you know, those guys are maybe more likely to kind of go to the league early. But I think for a lot of guys, it's like, I'd rather go get some money and take my chances there. And the NBA doesn't know how to adjust to the talent base here is just older across the, you know, from like older sophomores still to, you know, now you have fifth year seniors and, you know, there's some diamonds in the roughs there. I think Garrett, you know, really called it more than I did. And I've kind of come around on Hunter Tyson as being a really, really high level get in the second round as a fifth year senior. But I think for a lot of fifth year seniors and for NBA dreams looking to draft them, it's a tough proposition. Hey, draft this 23 year old because they have to be so ready because if they're not, th- there's not really a ton of development time there. Um, but yeah, no, Garrett, that's a great point. Um, do you want to take us to our next guy? Yeah, I'll, I'll go through some, uh, a prospect who I think the sell is pretty s- simple and straightforward. It's Ryan Kalkbrenner out of Creighton. Uh, so I think anyone who watched Creighton last year, is, and I think most of us did, are familiar with him. Seven-footer with shot-blocking sensibilities, can play capably in the drop. I think he moves his feet very well, tracks the ball around the rim very well. His feel for the game on that end of the floor is really apparent, I think, pretty straightforward there. He's also... On the downside, his frame is pretty skinny, even though he's now, I think, going to be a senior this year. Um, and I, I, don't, I just think that's naturally his body type. He's going to have trouble with some of the larger NBA centers in the paint uh, his whole career. But the main appeal here is that he has effective drop big mobility skills, good block radius, and good feel. Uh, I think he got un- really, he gets really underrated, even though everyone knows that he does this. I don't think people understand well enough how good he is as a roller. And, and a pick and a two-man game got uh, big. The chemistry that he had with Ryan Nemhard is just so incredible, and it's and it confuses me why Ryan Nemhard transferred away from that opportunity. Uh, I, I imagine NIL is in, is involved there, but he he'll be at Gonzaga next year, which kind of puts Cockburner in an awkward spot where he has to kind of replicate last year's chemistry with a new point guard. I, I think he'll be able to do it, but I just it's not a better situation than last year. Uh, for him but he is a really quick st- first step rolling out of screens for a seven footer especially gets downhill really quick 
and he's super reliable catching lobs. Uh, to me, I think he just profiles as a really obvious backup center in the league. If you know things go well for him, I, he has some hope as a shooter, but I'm not really considering that part of the package right now. I think you know it's just a guy that you can't leave completely alone. Uh, but but it, but it's there, and I, I just worry about his draft, how his draft stock's going to fare this year. It didn't seem like teams were super excited about him last season, and like I mentioned, it's not a better context this year. And I'm not really sure where teams are expecting his game to go unless they want him to shoot even more, I guess. Uh, but, you know, I'm looking around the league at which centers are getting signed as backups this season, which which centers on the market are getting two ways. I think Cockburner just stands out as one of the better centers in that grouping right away and, you know, give him a chance to develop in the league. What do you all think of Ryan Cockburner? Um. Kalkbrenner is a lot. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's my my big issue with with Kalkbrenner is that he's too vertical as a rim protector. Uh, it's it's it genuinely pisses me off. There's so many uh moments where he could just get the block if you just brought your arm down a little bit, but then guys go straight through his chest and straight like the ball they get a layup attempt off. Right, and he doesn't foul, and he's really good at stopping guys from scoring on those. But I think against stronger NBA wings, like Anthony Edwards, is, he he could end Ryan Kalkbrenner's career. Like, and he's not gonna he's not gonna get blocked. It's like he could get put on a Yuta Watanabe esque poster uh, because he just refuses to block the ball sometimes. Um, and I I think that I'm trying not to overthink it because, like you said, the form and the movement skills are all right. He can do all that stuff. And uh, I really overthought it with Castleton last year where Castleton, I watched him and I was like, there are a few small things that really bugged me. And I had him too low because of those few small things. When at the end of the day, he's just good. And he's, you know, better than a lot of the backup bigs currently employed by NBA teams. And it's like, is Ryan Kalkbrenner better than Damian Jones? Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, I draft him. Cooper, I'll mention just before we hop over to Bryce that you talked about how you expect him to get posted a lot. I actually think of Jay Huff as like a, like a guy who I think he's better than Jay Huff, but Jay Huff is a guy who will always try to contest a shot, but will get dunked on repeatedly despite having that towering frame and some shot blocking sensibilities. So I totally agree. I think he, even if he makes the league, he is going to be somebody on the wrong end of a lot of posters just because he's willing to always contest. My worry with Colin I, Brenner I respect is that, it, but, and, yeah. and I, I'm with Coop where I try not to overthink things with, I, and I definitely do it with big, I, I with with wings because that's like where my my heart goes is like I'm way more likely to like overlook their flaws, you know. Um, but it, it's like your kids versus like someone else's kids, right? They got the same issues, but when it's a big, I'm like, Ugh. and like I I still every time I think of Colbert, I can only think of that play from the first round of the NCAA tournament where 140-pounder Quavion Smith jumped into his chest and pushed him all the way back below the rim. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Could you imagine, like, you know, any – like, I want to say Paul George or Coop mentioned Anthony Edwards, but even, like, I don't know, could you imagine Chris Duarte, like, with a head of steam, like, jumping into him? Like, I do worry that he's just too skinny in his upper body. And I, I, I agree with Coop that – you know, Castleton for all his, for his skinniness and for his issues, one is definitely more mobile than Kalkbrenner, but also does have a bit more of that like feel as a actual shot blocker and the ability to 
pinpoint the block itself. That's something that I think I underrated in Walker Kessler. And then I, it sort of clicked for me with guys like Castleton and Taylor Hendricks, like the importance of being able to, yes, it's great to be in the right spot and to be vertical and to be big, but that last part where you can actually get your hand on the ball without fouling is something that I just don't fully like buy that Kalkbrenner has. And I still think he can be a very good backup big, like you said, like, you know, especially offensively, like I really like his touch and I like how quick his post moves are. So many guys when they post up are like doing all this meandering and they're taking 10 seconds off the clock. Like if, if, Creighton runs, you know, a little cross screen action or a little flex for him to get a post up. Like he's going to take one dribble and do a spin or a drop step or whatever and get the shot off. Like he's not overthinking it. And he was super efficient, like 77% on 240 close twos, uh, 50.9% on 57 far twos, uh, 73 or 75 on dunks. Like that will translate. I think he could definitely be like a plus offensive big. And if the defense is just fine and he is 7-1, like I, he, he can have a an, an NBA career, in my opinion. Is it someone I would draft? Maybe not. But I also, that's just kind of how I am with bigs. Um, am I, are we good for, uh, to move on to my next guy? All right, let's talk about someone who I think for some is probably the top returning big, uh, depending on, you know, if, if you find yourself liking Khalil Ware or not. Uh, and that's Donovan Klingon. Donovan Klingon, of course, Played for the national championship team uh, with UConn and came off the bench for them, which I don't think, um, you know, people really expected, but, uh, you know, was really, really excellent in his role. Uh, played only 13 minutes a game uh, in 39 games as a freshman, uh, but was very efficient. Shot um, 72.2% on 151 close twos, 53 dunks. Um, doesn't really do a ton else offensively, but it's not a bad passer. Doesn't have like a great assist rate or a great assist turnover rate by any means, but I actually think has some moments as a passer. Um, UConn's offense is hard. Like it was, it, it, I, I imagine it was very hard for a freshman to kind of step in and learn, but I, I, I think he did an admirable job there. He's a big, strong, surprisingly mobile big is kind of how I would describe him defensively, um, specific, specifically like, Inside the paint maneuvering, I think, is really effective for him. Uh, nimble feet is is kind of how I would describe it, where he's not someone who's going to be out on a switch ton. He's just – he's too big and lumbering for that. But, like, inside the paint, I like how he covers ground. I like how he can get to help side blocks. Uh, you know, had a 14.4 block rate as a freshman at UConn in the Big East. That's really effective. Um, you know, my worries are just that he's, like – not quite good enough at anything really uh he's definitely getting hyped up for some as like a top you know 10 15 guy i don't think i see that i don't think there's that type of i i don't see like defensive player of the year upside right like i don't think he has that type of preternatural feel or that type of really top end um you know rim protection upside uh he is strong and like i said the mobility and the paint is nice um, but I, I think if some of his rotations can be a little slow and I, I, you know, so that's youth, obviously he just, he can block chase a little bit too, if I'm being honest, like, um, and, and I think that gets him into foul trouble. It gets him out of position. So, you know, I don't have a, like a, a, a ton. I honestly don't feel super strongly on clinging either way, which is kind of, you know, interesting because so many people do. So Coop Garrett, I mean, do you guys have, have any thoughts on clinging one way or the other? 
He's a, he's a lot more skilled, especially uh, offensively than your usual, just like massive bruiser type guy. Uh, And that I, I think even defensively, I think he's, his feet are a little bit faster. Uh, he can, you know, he's mobile. He's can really get up for blocks. He can get them in chase down. He can get them in basic coverage, get them every which way that you want your big man to. Um, I still, I might, I don't love like these massive lumbering bigs as, as much as everyone else. I don't know if I get the top 10 type buzz, but, um, uh, I can see a world where he's really unlocked offensively and he can do some posting up DHO bunch of different, you know, offensive actions and still give you a ton in drop. Right. As a, uh, you know, and not like run a, a bench defense, you know, a regular season defense and do just enough to not get played off the floor in the playoffs to where he's worth like a lottery top 20 pick. Um, it's still not my favorite. I'm not absolutely in love with him, but I, I still definitely need to watch more film on him. I, I watched mostly UConn in, in the tournament and I didn't get enough of their regular season and I need to go back and watch more of that, but I'm really excited to see him as like a full-time starter and full player to like really see what he can do. Uh, in, in real minutes and not <laughs> playing behind the guy who he's frankly better than. I will say you mentioned the DHO operation. I actually don't like that because I don't think he can dribble at all. And I think like anytime guys are running like a ton of DHOs and they can't dribble, it kind of just annoys me. It's like a perfect, I'm like, why don't you just have him set a normal screen? Why do you have the, like, cause the defense knows it's how to more play. Fun. And I think DHOs when the big can't dribble are easier to guard than just a normal pick and roll. But it, anyways, it's a, that's, that's a pet peeve for another day. Uh, just uh, it, it's kind of like replacing Isaiah Hardenstein with Avicii Zubak and trying to run the same offense. So um, anyways, Garrett, do you have thoughts on Donovan Klingon? Yeah. I'll, I'll mention that, um, you know, Klingon and UConn acknowledged that he was kind of playing overweight last year, maybe not even overweight, but maybe body fat percentage a little high. Uh, and that he's going to be getting into like a much more athletic playing sh- shape. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting this year to monitor if he gains some more mobility by maybe having an offseason program like that. I think that he's somebody that right now that's getting a lot of like skill level ascribed to him that is has only been shown in flashes up to this point throughout his career, not only in college, but also in high school. Like uh, UConn is talking up his shooting, but you know, he, shot pretty horribly in his limited attempts last year and didn't really have any three-point shooting responsibility at UConn, but his long twos were really poor. Um, There's a lot of talk about him being like this really high-level finisher. I think that actually I saw a lot of weird finishes off glass that were pretty bad misses. I know we don't want to track bad misses as being a sign of touch inherently, but he, I think he has some stiffness in his upper body that makes it tough for him to get like like really nimble looks around the rim though. I do like his footwork uh, defensively. I think the upper body stuff just kind of uh, it it inhibits some of his ability to be like a post-up guy or a rim finisher over guys who are smaller than him. It reminds me a little bit of not to interrupt, but like his upper body reminds me a little bit of Rudy Gobert, where it's just like, he doesn't have the ability to like really like bend around and like shift below guys, which is so important for like, you think of, you know, a lot of post moves are based on 
getting someone up and getting lower than them. And it's just really hard to do that if you can't like get your body to physically get that low. Exactly. You put that better than I would have. Um, so yeah, I, to me, I think that Klingon, I had him as a first round grade for most of last cycle. Um, I understand there's some momentum coming off of the championship season, but I'm also kind of holding back on giving a lot of grade right now. But he, he's a player I really like, and I'm really excited to watch him this year, especially now that he's going to higher minutes load. We I just talked about him getting in better shape. Hopefully that means he can play a much higher minute load this season. Um, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a Klingon fan, but maybe I'm, just not as high as others. I'm fascinated to see what UConn looks like in general. This is a team with a lot of leaving, but also a lot of uh, interesting incoming talent. I'm, of course, a gigantic Jalen Stewart fan who probably won't play much this year, sadly, but Stefan Castle is someone many project to be a lottery guy. Cam Spencer is probably going to kind of take that. Uh, Jordan Hawkins role. Tristan Newton's coming back. Tristan Newton is a guy I've always liked, even back at ECU. Uh, maybe not as like a like super draftable guy, but as like a fringe draftable two-way guy. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Fun team. Interested to see how it goes. Coop, uh, I believe you're up next. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll save the uh, the best for last, and we'll get to the one guy who we alluded to at the beginning who I don't love in this group, uh, and that's Duke's Kyle Filipowski. Uh, very high-rated recruit. I think he was two in, in that high school class last year. Uh, came out and had a, a really interesting offensive season. Um, we don't want to talk about the defense because despite the stocks numbers being all right, it was really bad. Um, but I mean, he kind of shot the ball. He shot 32.2% from, you know, from long two. wasn't a great finisher at the rim. Uh, didn't get a ton of dunks, mostly because he was playing next to another post-up big a lot of the time. And he was a, a stretch four who's not a great shooter. Uh, and the shot doesn't like look super good either he's semi-mobile I think that's kind of the sell for him uh is that he can kind of move and then he has some really flashy passes um but he's not like a super functional passer which is my big issue it turns the ball over I think it's 11 assists to 18.4 turnover uh, a lot of those turnovers are really stupid like it's not like he's attempting something really high level and oh you know you really like to see that feel it's just dumb stuff that did not need to be attempted in the first place. Um, he's, you know, he's a legit 6'11", and he can kind of move, but he doesn't have the feel to actually play in these schemes right now where that movement, where those movement skills would actually shine. And he hasn't shown them being super functional on the defensive end. I mean, he was 6'11", with a 2.6 block rate. Like, what are we doing there? Uh, there's some interesting post moves and like I've seen Shangun comparisons and, and I think like no matter what you think of Shangun, uh, Filipowski is like a poor man's imitation of him. Way worse post moves. He's not nearly as strong and he doesn't play that strong around the rim. Uh, he's, he's I, I wouldn't say he plays super weak because he does get to the free throw line, but I think a lot of that's more craft than anything he's not like bullying these dudes who are way smaller than him and going over them and taking contact while he's going up for post moves and getting to the line uh, i just don't love his process i i think his skill set's a little bit uh a little bit overstated it's a lot of flashes and i don't 
like buy any of the stuff that he had kind of has to be a four because he's too skinny and too low field to be a five, but he can't actually do any of the four stuff. Uh, he's, he's a tweener in the worst ways. And I, I just don't get like the lotto and top 20 buzz that he gets. Um, I don't have a ton to say on Filipowski. We almost did a pot on him like right before he withdrew. So I, I, I thank God every day for that. Um, even though I did waste the whole day and a half watching him. Um, I think my main takeaway from Filipowski, uh, and I've had this thought since high school, is that the spin moves and the behind-the-back dribbles are really fun. Um, his one big skill is that he's really good at shifting his weight uh, in a very quick manner for someone his size, which is a very impressive skill. It's, um, you know, a lot of bigs who are better ball handlers don't have that, right? Like Evan Mobley, Carl Anthony Towns, despite having good handles, are not that swift when shifting their weight. But I think Felipowski is not quite good at using that to effectively create for himself or others to create easy looks, at least. Um, he is still not really a good off-ball player, I don't think. Um, he doesn't really shoot. He's not a very good screener. He's not a very good role man. Um, and I think the defense is problematic at the very least. Um, he kind of does have that, like, Alperen Shengun movement style, and I think that's some of what enamors people with him. Um, but I also just like don't think there's anything about this game I really buy. Um, if the interior scoring can really get to that, just like completely undeniable level, he shot 58.1% last year. It's a good amount self created, like that's a good number. If he can get to that point where it's like 63, 64%, and he's also a good free throw shooter, or gets to the line a good amount, I think I could maybe buy him as like a really high level backup you know fringe starter type in the same way like i think that's who sengun is like a lot of people like him more than that but i would you know say like he's a good sixth man probably and that's where i'm at with filipowski at his highest end uh garrett where where are you at with filipowski i know you're also a little lower than maybe consensus on him yeah i honestly don't really have any too deep of thoughts i got to duke pretty late in the cycle and was focusing on the guys who are more likely to be in the draft um didn't watch him much in high school, but I, I watching a lot of Duke film there at the end of the cycle. Can't say I found anything too inspiring about his game. I, I just didn't come away with any deep thoughts on him as an NBA prospect. Uh, but of course, those were mostly casual watches of him, serious watches of others. I just in general think that he and Proctor are getting kind of just a Duke bump here where guys are look where scouts are looking and pundits are looking for guys to be their top returners in the next cycle. I, I just found that they're, both of their take to be fairly uninspiring. Uh, I, I would start lower on both going into this year. Yeah, I think that's that's about that's about plenty if I were to uh, if I were to just cut us off there. Um, Garrett, you're up next. Do you want to take us to your next guy? Yeah, so my next guy is the one that I would have the highest of the four I'll talk about today on last year's board. It is Adembona at UCLA. Uh, I think it's a really mixed bag with Adembona after last season. Uh, first of all, I just want to say some of the best intel I've ever heard for a player ever. Uh, from what I've heard, Adembona is an outstanding human being. I, I would love to meet him. Uh, but he's a, I believe he's listed 6'10". He might be a 6'9 center. Uh, who, who for UCLA last year was pretty much just a dunker, dunker spot guy and a slip screen guy. Didn't really have a lot of role in the offense outside of basically highlight plays at the rim. 
and crashing boards. Uh, for me, I thought that it, in general, just seemed like his feel wasn't necessarily there yet, where his game could expand more than that. I, I draw that parallel with Bandago. Uh, it seemed like UCLA was trying to keep things fairly simple for him. Uh, but uh, he's an incredible athlete. He runs the floor so hard in transition. He's just unguardable, really, because he just runs the floor harder than most, even NBA-ish like guards in the Pac-12. He, he could outrun them in the open floor, which I just found incredible. So I really love that about him. I like if you think about him on some like the old UNC teams of the, of the old days, or like Alonzo Ball team in college, the teams that just love pushing transition. I think he would have been just so fun to watch in those systems. But uh, for me with the Dembona, the reason I'm high on him, I just said I kind of felt like the feel isn't necessarily there yet, is that he just has a skill that is so rare, which is switchability from a six-nine center, that true switchability out on the perimeter. He just he gets very low in his stance. I don't know if that's necessarily part of the reason why he's so good at it, but he get, he gets he really embraces just trying to be a lockdown defender on all areas of the court. I think he really enjoys being able to take someone from the perimeter and 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 stay with them to the basket. I don't know that his shot blocking instincts once you get there are great. I think that he has the athleticism to get up there and, and put his hands in front of a lot of shots, but he does have a tendency to be very foul prone uh, on those attempts. And to me, it's more of an idea of what, if you're a team that's trying to be one through five switchable or at least have some switchability concepts in your defense that extend to every player on the court. I think Bona is someone that you'd really, it would be really difficult to talk yourself out of taking him after a lot of the guys that you typically talk about in the second round, guys who like you hope become a role player. I think Bona is a guy who, if we think of him as a guy who's still learning the game and, and it has like this burgeoning skill set, um and, and these just unteachable tools that he could be somebody that eventually reaches you know starter status particularly if you're drafting him for a first round contract you, you could count on him by year four maybe starting to look like your starting center um but knowing that i don't really trust this offensive game to get a lot more expansive you know i, I think it's still just going to mostly be dunker spot stuff even if his feel for the game grows, he, there's a lot of talk around UCLA that he has a shot. I've seen the shot in warmups. I've seen the shot in games. It's I don't believe in it. Um, but to me, yeah, just a late first round bet that I was willing to make last year and I'm willing to make again this year. The context this year is bizarre. I think every single scout is wondering what the hell UCLA is going to do with him and Adai Mara. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's a great context for him, uh, but I'm waiting and seeing. Uh, and, and yeah, I'm curious what you all think. And I'm also curious what you all think UCLA is going to look like next year. Well, so that's actually, before I dive into what I think of Bona, I want to ask you, like, Garrett, what do you think their starting lineup is going to be? Oh, man. Do they when, start uh, Elaine and, I'm probably saying that long, and Jan Vide? I think Vide has to start, you know, if, if people aren't following it too closely. They they didn't just uh, lose Hakez. They, they graduated a lot of their like long-term Cronin guys and, you know, Cronin's notorious for wanting his Cronin guys who he's like developed in his system and play his style to play the big minutes. There's just this massive chasm of minutes to be filled. I Campbell's think, gone. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, Singleton, 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 gone. Singleton. Yeah. Uh, so to me, I think with this huge youth movement, Cronin's in a spot that he normally doesn't like putting himself in. And I think that he has to play a guy like Jan Vide, a guy with international professional experience 
uh, you know, walking bucket. You know, Ghost I, plays I a lot like Johnny Juzang. If we're being yeah. for real, I think Stefanovic is going to be his shooter from the wing. He's a transfer from Utah and one of the upperclassmen on this roster. I'm not a huge Stefanovic guy necessarily, but I think that's just a easy slot in. Dylan Andrews playing point, and then the two bigs maybe. I mean, I, I the one question mark for me is is their incoming guy from Turkey who I've seen I, I don't I haven't learned how to pronounce his name yet, unfortunately, so I'm not gonna try. But uh I he's like more of a six nine forward, kind of a to me like a, a guy who can drive to the rim a little bit. I he's to me the biggest question mark on the roster. So if he can if he can be a starter level player, then maybe he plays over uh one of Mara or Bona in the starting lineup. It's it's weird that somebody is going to f- be in their feelings. I think going into the season because they have six guys who probably think they're the starter and 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 have the results in practice to justify it. But one of them is going to come off the bench and play kind of an awkward role next to some of these other guys. The I, I, I don't two... love the fit of these parts. No, me either. The only two guys I'm confident start are um, I want to say Dylan Andrews, but I could be getting that wrong at at point. And Adam Bona at the five or the four or five. Um, and then everything else, I think. I, I imagine Mar probably starts. I imagine Vide probably starts. And I think you're right with Stefanovic being a pretty safe bet. I think if that's your outside shooting bet, uh, yikes, because I his his he shoots a fine percentage. His misses are some of the worst misses I have ever seen in my life. When Stefanovic misses, it is like uh it's like I don't know. I like uh um Philip Seymour Hoffman in that one. I've I've never see, actually seen the movie, but in that one meme where he's like, uh, it's raining and he's just shooting off the backboard. That's what most the Zarstvanovich's misses look like. Uh, Coop, do you want to tell us what you feel about Adam Bona? So he's somebody who I did not really like like at all to start the season last year. Just so many mistakes. Like it is just constantly defensively offensively anything other than just like running the floor and being in the dunker spot it's a mistake after mistake he couldn't screen properly he couldn't roll properly his timing was off and by the end of the year you know I I wouldn't say that he was like particularly good but you see the movement skills shining through more right you see like oh I understand a little bit more where I have to be and I can use my tools to get here or to snag this ball, get a little hand going here. Um, I started just to see the tools more for what they are. I wish he wasn't so far behind field-wise. Just another guy who I really want to see. Like, I want to see him play a ton and just figure out. I want to see the game slow down for him more in real time. And if I can see that, I will be very, very in on him. I just need to see some kind of growth to buy all in. So I've seen a little bit and I need, I, I need, I need to see a, a lot, like a whole season's worth of progression. And uh, I'll, I'll be all in on Bona. The tools are incredible. Like, you know, once every decade type stuff. He is like, plus the motor, plus being the best guy on the planet. Like he, these guys just don't come around. Uh, so I, I really hope that the, the field can start to come around a little bit more. So for me, where I'm at with with Bona is that um, while he is a switch big, he is not a coverage versatile big because I don't think he can ever drop. Um, and I really don't buy him as like the lone low man. So because of that, I think he takes a very specific fit, which 
is a fit that I still think some teams want to have. Um, and, and, and I think that matters. Uh, I, I, I paired everything Garrett said about hearing that he's just like the greatest human. It sort of reminds me of everything I heard about Isaiah Stewart back in the day. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny because they have similar bodies as well. Um, but just when you hear like, oh, like everyone loves this guy, he's a, he's a leader, he's, you know, has the right amount of intensity on the court, um, but is, you know, picking everyone up off the court, whatever. Um, great stuff to hear. Um, I actually don't like him as a lob threat because I don't think he's like a particularly like quick twitch leaper. Um, and I also don't think he has great feel for where to be to actually catch a lob. Um, so I, I just like, I'm, I'm very TBD on him. Uh, I'm guessing I'll probably be lower than both you guys, but he's also like clearly draftable, right? Because he's just so big and athletic and, um, can definitely hang on the perimeter. I thought the one thing I will say, like, really positive for him, the footwork jump he took from the beginning of his UCLA career to the end of last season, really impressive. Like, even though he was clearly mobile at the beginning of last year, he was still getting cooked out on the perimeter. He really could not hang. Um, and he improved that immensely. By the end of the season, he was one of the better hedge and recover bigs, uh, I think, in college basketball. And I think that does matter. So, um, all right, I'm going to move on to my second to last guy, or I should say third to last guy because I cheated again. And um, that's Vince Iwuchukwu. And this will go really fast. I think that he is very similar to someone like a Donovan Klingon uh, in a lot of ways. 7 1 from Munich, Germany. Uh, he is 20 years old. Uh, last year had a heart issue that did kind of derail the beginning of his season. Uh, still came back and played. It seems to be a little bit better now. Had a 7.6% block rate despite playing in um, a hard hedge system. Uh, for me, what it stands out with Iwachukwu is that he just is a tenacious uh, rim protector. He is someone who wants to block everything. He, um, you know, will do whatever it takes to kind of make plays. He's, I watched him block three or four shots on the perimeter. I think he's a pretty monster ground coverage big uh, in terms of how he kind of runs up and down the floor. Uh, not necessarily laterally quick but once he's blown by his ability to recover is really impressive um so it kind of allows him to be more aggressive out on the perimeter and make up for not having uh you know necessarily great lateral quickness i think his stride lengths are really impressive i think he's super athletic off one or two and he's super long um so there's a lot of stuff i like defensively uh and then offensively just a dunker spot kind of screen and roll guy really disastrous decision maker um, specifically like on the boards, I think he's a really horrible decision maker. Uh, there are times where he, it feels like he should, like, it's like an obvious, oh, crash the offensive boards moment. And he's running back on defense or vice versa, where he should definitely be running back on defense. And instead he's trying to crash the boards, even though the other team has four guys in the paint. Um, but you know, in, in general, I think he, uh, if he's healthy, I mean, I think you should start for USC. Uh, USC is going to be really good. Him and Isaiah Collier as a pick and roll duo. I wouldn't be surprised if Iwuchuku kind of overtakes a lot of these guys that uh, us and consensus, you know, have well over him. Uh, he was a former five-star recruit. Um, you know, I, I want to say him all the way in, but I think there's a world where he has the highest defensive ceiling of just about everyone we've talked about today, where it's like at his best, he is maybe the one guy, other than Dayron Holmes, I would say, one of the guys who I look at and I'm like, okay, 
maybe this is a defensive player of the year in a way I don't see with Klingon or Ware or Trayvon Brazil or Bona. Like I, I think that's in his game. Um, Garrett Cooper, have you guys seen much of Iwachuku? Do you, am I crazy for saying like defensive player of the year might be possible someday or uh, where are you guys kind of at? Uh, I would say that after his heart issue last year, I, I kind of knowing that he was not really going to be a prospect that season, I didn't pay too much attention. I did see him in USC games, partially watching Kobe Johnson. Who I'm very excited about next year. Um, but yeah, I have to say I, I wouldn't be in a position to give a lot of analysis here, but I, I do think the tools are really interesting. I, I did. I think he, he was presented to me at a high school as being a guy who's in this Adembona camp of maybe of maybe not coming into college with great feel, but I actually was pretty excited by some of the stuff that he was doing at UC this year. I have a little bit more hope for him as being like a more diverse offensive player. I mean, he already is kind of showing more stuff than Bona did last year. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he looks like this year and glad he's healthy. Yeah, I loved him out of high school. Uh, just so physically dominant. Uh, he can really move. Absolute unit. I was really pissed off when Bryce stole him from me. He said we were going to do four bigs for this episode, and I thought I could snag it with Chuku at the end, and uh, I got stuck with Filipowski. But I still get to talk about, <laughs> about it with Chuku a little bit. I, you know, guys like him who are so big and so mobile, um, you know, and ha- have those those traits. I think I, I don't think it's out of the cards to be a deep boy, but I would like to see a little bit more feel before I see it as realistic. Um, I think there's a really good chance that this year, even if he doesn't come out, he could be like a late first round type bet, even without having a particularly good year because the flashes are just insane and he can just do like stuff that other guys can't do. And he's like legitimately humongous uh, and can legitimately move. And most of these other guys, I mean, they're, they're either huge and can't move as well or can move, but they're not that big. I mean, Vince is legitimately incredibly long, incredibly tall with great movement skills. I I'm really excited to see this year. Uh, I think he should start as well. USC's roster construction is really weird. (laughs) Uh, it's a lot of guards, a lot of weirdo wings and forwards. Uh, but I, I think he'll really be able to shine next to this collection of uh, of passing talent. Man, him, I love Kobe Johnson. I love what this team could be. Uh, Andy Enfield is not a guy I trust to make it actually look good. Uh, but I also think, like, Iwachukwu, you know, is going to look really good next to Isaiah Collier. And that's really all that matters to me. Um, Goop, do you want to move to your next guy? Yeah, as I said earlier, I saved the best for last. Uh, My favorite player, maybe in all of college basketball for all the wrong reasons, Uh, Clifford Amarui at Rutgers, uh, 6'11 big man, another just insane athlete, super strong, incredibly long wingspan, solidly, you know, can play a couple different schemes, can play aggressively, he can hedge a little bit for Rutgers, he can drop, can really rebound the shit out of the ball, can block shots, plays it smart. I, I don't think he overcommits to blocking shots, though, which is really nice. Um, my, my big moment that confirmed that Cliff is, like, my favorite big <laughs> ever 
is when he every single time he plays Zach Eady and has him in hell. He is the only big man on earth or on in college basketball who just puts Zach Eady through the ringer. And uh, I love him for it. He postered Zach Eady in one game. He's blocked him plenty of times in others. Um, there's just not big man stuff that he can't do. I can't shoot free throws, but you know, that's, that's not, big men don't need to shoot free throws. So we're not going to talk about that. He's not going to shoot the ball. He's not going to do anything fancy. He's going to show up. He's going to be tough. He's going to kick ass. And that's what you really need in a big man. Even if that's just your backup big, uh, you would rather your, your backup big be, you know, one mean son of a bitch than a pussy. So draft cliff in the second round. Yeah, uh, Garrett, do you have any thoughts on uh, Clifford Omarui? I think he's a guy who's pretty straightforward sell. I think Cooper covered it pretty well. I, there was a, I, I watched him play against Maryland last year, which is, by the way, the worst game I watched the whole cycle. Both teams just went through these terrible, terrible scoring droughts. It was rough. But That's the uh, Rutgers experience, man. They, yeah, don't, they I, don't play offense. It's just defense. We need to. I I really hope that's not the case. Let's see, as in these guys next year, <laughs> it's been it's been rough. But yeah, to me, I I think I it's a reasonable guess to say he he could be a second rounder and a guy I like the rim running obviously. Uh, but in that Maryland game, he had one of the funniest sequences where he thought that he had gotten this key turnover, but the ball had bounced off of his knee as it went out of bounds. And he had already gone back to all of his teammates and was like chest bumping every one of his teammates and like, and like r- revving up the crowd. Then he turns around and sees the ref, give him a look. And then he just <laughs> like the, the whole, his, every, every emotion he had on his face just leaves it immediately. It's so memeable. But to me, I, I think that he profiles this guy who could very easily be a backup center. I was kind of surprised that he came back to school because I think the context is really similar, if not the same, maybe some lost personnel even from last year. Um, but, you know, when you're in the late second round and you have the opportunity to go play for a really good records, team, I don't necessarily blame you. That's what I want to talk about. I think this Rutgers team will be really good. Um, just kind of as I look through uh you know what their roster might look like um i think gavin griffiths is going to be the rare freshman to start and play big minutes for Rutgers. i actually think like he's a sneaky one and done candidate he's a sneaky top 20 candidate i think noah fernandes and Derek simpson at the one and two is really interesting those are two really really good pick and roll players uh Derek simpson is a guy who another guy who i think is kind of underrated um you know and then you guys you know there's plenty of other players on this team who i don't have super deep opinions on but i think cliff could look really good uh for me the tough thing was he kind of got the day around holmes treatment a little bit where they're like hey cliff go post up and he can't really post up like he's that's not his game he had to learn how to like he has some moves now um but i think this year he'll get to play in better spacing um, and he'll still gonna give be that defensive monster at the back end. I'm with you, Garrett. We're like, there's no first round upside for me. He definitely profiles more as like a backup center, but he's another guy who I've heard some pretty positive character things. I've heard some like you know hard worker stuff, and uh, you know I like him probably about the same as I kind of like the Charles Bediaco, and I would have drafted Bediaco, you know, in the 40s or 50s. So it's kind of where I'm at with him. Um, I'll go to um oh actually sorry garrett you're up um with with uh your last guy yeah so this is a guy that i think 
Bryce, you and I both like, but it sounds like we might have some interesting discussion because I think it might be for slightly different reasons. It's Tyson Degenhart out of Boise State. Um, so he's a 6'8", uh, kind of a wingish player, but I think he kind of fits into this big category for some of the skills that he brings to the table. Um, a guy who is also in the Dayron category where it seems like his team asked him to add, him, add quite a bit of weight and he was less mobile this year than he was as a freshman. Uh, I think his shooting numbers dipped, which is pretty typical for somebody who had a lot of weight. He shot over, I think he shot 43% from three as a freshman, dropped down to low 30s this past year. But a 6'8 player with a really clean three-point stroke, uh, a guy who can take you off the bounce. It's nothing complicated. He's not like this high-level athlete, but he's got this really big, naturally big frame that allows him to really bully other wings driving to the rim. I think the reason that he's in our big category, why I wanted him in this big category is because of what he brings to the uh, floor defensively. He's so great at taking you from the perimeter to the rim and walling off without losing any of his mobility in tracking defense uh, ball handlers. Repeatedly saw him do it against, you know, maybe not NBA level guards, but college, good college guards. Uh, just the mobility is really enticing. I see him as maybe like a Jared Vanderbilt four at times with just tenacity getting him uh, into defensive actions rather than inherently being like this really great toolsy defender. Um, but to me, what really excites me about him is just his feel for the game on both ends of the floor, always in the right spots. I do think he could be more assertive this next year, Boise State. I imagine that was some of the feedback after this past season. There were too many times where he's just more interested in making the best play for the offense than, than creating for himself. And I think that in many of those opportunities, it was his own creation would have been the best shot. Uh, it passed up a lot of threes, which is odd. Um, but I will say he's a guy whose numbers were tanked really hard by a bad first month. I think he shot under 20% from three in November and the rest of the way shot high thirties. So hopefully his three point num numbers recover. And we start thinking about him as this really interesting, like, diverse wing prospect who's got some big man size in some ways that allow him to play in the paint as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I obviously love Dagan Hart, right? He's one of the few NBA, even fringe NBA prospects from Eastern Washington. Um, Eastern Washington only produces like white dudes. It's Joe Harris. It's Tyson Dagan Hart. Uh, I almost say Corey Kispert, but Corey Kispert's actually from Edmonds, which is on the West side. So never mind. Um, but anyways, uh Degenhart is someone who I like. I think he's really smart. Um, my one of my favorite stat profiles ever. Shot 67.5% on close twos, uh, on 157 close twos. Uh had one dunk and one missed dunk. And the one dunk he did have, it wasn't like a real like emphatic dunk where like he grabs the rim and the ball goes through. He grabbed the rim and the ball shot straight up and then fell back through the rim. So uh, that's kind of what you're getting with him athletically. Um, even like in high school when he was a little skinnier, not much athletic pop there. Uh, I, I think the big things for him are definitely buy into just shooting more, especially off pick and pops. He is all about like this, like team first team only ball, which I can't help but admire a little bit. Don't get me wrong but he needs to buy into like, I'm the fucking guy. I need to get some shots up. I need to be that type of at least shooter, if not score, at least shooter. Um, and I think that defensively, like I wish they used him in a more like NBA way. 
he weirdly drops a lot. It's so weird. Like Boise State has him playing in like this like high catch drop a ton. And it's so like you just don't see that with a six eight big. And he was their center. Like they were not really playing their other guy who was also a forward was also six eight. And they kind of ran this like you know, versatile double drop scheme. And Dagan Hart, you know, guard at the post a lot. He's a good post defender, plays hard, he plays smart, takes a ton of charges. You know, can he kind of be like a Jalen Williams, Jalen with a Y Williams light? I think that's maybe in the cards for him at times. Um, and I, I like his connective passing. He does a lot I like. I just think he has to be just a bit more efficient as a shooter and a bit more aggressive as a shooter. Have you seen any Dagan Hart? It, it would not surprise me if you have it if you don't watch much uh mountain west hoops no uh there is the only thing worse than watching pac 12 is mountain west so uh just kidding they don't employ mick cronin so uh, also like let's not let's not pretend that the big 10 no longer exists like let's let's be for real Uh, i forgot about the big 10 i forgot i don't know how i forgot about the big 10 but uh yeah no i i haven't seen tyson Dagenhart. uh i'll i'll check him out this year you all uh you know doesn't really sound exactly like my kind of guy uh if he's that unselfish uh but uh i'll have to check him out yeah no i think coop i think i think you would like him and then you would kind of see him move a little bit and you'd be like actually never mind um but if you just watched his offensive plays you'd be into him all right i'm gonna talk about two guys really briefly and then i'll just let you two kind of let me know if you've seen either of them. First one is Guillermo Diaz Graham. Uh, he's a part of a twin twin duo. Uh, his brother Jorge is not as good and not as interesting. Um, what I like about Guillermo is that I think he is a moderately interesting bet to shoot. I actually think Jorge is the better shooter for what that's worth. But uh, Guillermo, I should say, plays at Pittsburgh, will still be at Pittsburgh. Um, didn't really break out to the end of the year when all of a sudden, after barely playing all season, he played a ton of minutes in the NCAA tournament. Um, and looked really good in them. Uh, he can, you know, I think he's an interesting shot blocker. I think he's really mobile. He's really, really thin. He's built like Chet Holmgren. He's listed at seven foot, um, seven foot 205. There is no way he weighs 205. He looks like he weighs about 95 pounds uh, or 195 pounds, I should say. Um, but I, you know, I think the thing with him is that he's fairly mobile Um Wow, I think his feel is a little far behind. Both him and his brother are really quick decision makers, um, which I'd like. Uh, they're really decisive. Uh, I think that uh, Gmo especially has really quick hands, um, very active, like just trying to get steals and trying to get on the boards. Um, I think that uh, he, he he's interesting to me. He's just someone who I think can do a little bit of switching. I think can play in a drop a little bit. And then you just have to figure out what he can do offensively. Right now, he can't really do much. He's not, other than kind of just make quick passing reads. Um, he's not a particularly good ball handler. He has like one nice right to left cross, which the move is nice, but his explosion out of it isn't. So it's not really there. I think the shot is, like I said, a moderate bet, but not really all the way there yet either. Um, so I, I, he's just someone who kind of intrigues me and that I think is worth monitoring, even if I don't think he's like, all the way there. The other guy who I'm a little bit higher on is Micah Hanlockton. Uh, Hanlockton played last season at Marshall, which is kind of a fun but gimmicky offensive team. Um, and he's he was a 7-1 freshman. He's still only 19 years old. He'll, he won't turn 20 until December. He's transferring to Florida. And I think he's going to immediately kind of step into the starting big role and play the 
sort of uh, Colin Castleton type role. Um, last season, he had an 8.7 block rate and a 2.8 steal rate. Really, really good for a CUSA big. Uh, shot 74.8% at the rim. But for me, the real secret sauce, and you don't get to see this in his assisted turnover because he turned it over a lot and there's not a ton of assist. But I actually like his passing quite a bit. I think while he's not someone who can dribble, he can kind of, he sees cutters well. Uh, he passed out of the post well. Uh, just does a lot of little things I like. Um, so I Hanlogan is a guy who I think could probably get into like my top 45-ish, um, just as like a like a solid two-way big bet to probably be like a good backup, but could maybe even get above that just because he's so big. And if he puts on some weight, like yeah, you know, guys that tall who are you know solid on both ends tend to have a shot to be a starter. Uh Garrett Coop, have you guys seen either of these guys? Do either of them interest you, or am I just preaching to the choir here? I've seen both these guys uh, both very recently leading up to the season. Uh, Guillermo Diaz-Graham, uh, first of all, I, I, I do think you mentioned his feels kind of far behind. I would agree. I do really like his mobility, uh, but I think that's most of the what interests me for him. Uh, I, Pittsburgh has really – one of the games that I really like watched closely was his game against Xavier in the tournament, and Pittsburgh had him hard hedging. Uh, against Jack Dungey and the Xavier gar- upperclassmen guards, it did not go well. I don't understand why they had a freshman hard hedging <laughs> at the top of the key with a guy like Jack Dungey who just rolled every time, immediately every time that he saw Diaz Grand just commit to it without really thinking about whether or not it was the right play in that scenario. So it, it, to me, I just noticed a lot of overhelping on the tape, particularly when you think about the fact that he's a seven footer who should probably be more towards the rim. The amount of times that he felt that he needed to offer some token help to a guard was kind of concerning. It didn't feel like he really understood where his place was in the defense, but you know, I, I think that the mobility is really interesting. Uh, I, I think that he, he's got a pretty good vertical as well for his height. So it's, it's just like banking on some, flashes he only really started getting playing time for pittsburgh because their starter got injured and then came back and was playing injured uh diaz graham looked like he could exist on the court so i felt like they were just trying to get him more run and get him more experience which is good but uh we're really going to see the real diaz graham experience this season and get a better idea of where his game is you know sometimes if you're a freshman suddenly thrown into the rotation you can look a little lost when that might not uh be your true level of feel so we'll see uh, but for my, I will say and, yeah. I did like his feel a little bit better in uh, in high school at IMG. Like I didn't think it was great, but I I do agree that there's definitely a little bit of your starter goes out. Well, okay, actually you have to play a ton. That's not necessarily fair to a freshman, and I, I'm not sure that's completely indicative. Not that I thought he was like high feel out of high school, but I thought it was at least not bad, and it looked it did look kind of bad at, at Pitt. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, he's a wait-and-see guy for me. Um, Micah Hanlockton, I, I have seen far less of, but I have seen him. I, I, the number one thing that just immediately I, I put down as immediate notice, I need to see him with some guards who are willing to facilitate real offense. Like, you know, Marshall, you know, they had very talented guards, but they're guards who just want to cook. Uh, a lot of times they're not, they're not necessarily looking to set up their big for a lot of looks, a lot of offense. So, you know, it worked for Marshall in a way, you know, Tavion Kinsley, of course, is obviously just going to dominate that level of competition. So I don't really necessarily blame them. But when you look at this SEC personnel, I'm hoping we just talked on the last spot about it working together. But I see a lot of guards who aren't 
who don't, you know, there are a couple unselfish guards in this roster, but they aren't guards who I necessarily love the passing touch, passing ability of. So how, how are the looks going to come to Hanlockton? I don't think he's a back to the basket big inherently. Uh, at least not, that's not his strength. Um, so I'm just wondering how he's going to get his offensive looks and have more of a prospect statement this coming season. Uh, but I, I like the long-term bet because I do really like his feel. Um, and yeah, I, that's pretty much where I'm on, on Micah. Coop, are these just a couple more with shot goes to you or what? Yeah, no, you're, these are, these are random name generator, 2k fake ass with Shaco Florians to me. Um, even if I did have opinions and you guys would have covered them, um, like I I've seen some hand locked in, like, you know, I've watched Marshall, but like, what is there to like actually say about him? I don't like he's seven foot one and does seven foot one big man stuff. I want to see like, like basically what Garrett, like you want to see more, obviously like Garrett was saying, but like, especially with like real players, but I, don't know I think, I think Flo- Florida, I I'm getting my hopes up again, man. I'm like, I'm so fucking excited. He's, he's for that buying team. in. He's going I'm so all excited. In. Give me, give me more slop. Give me more SEC slop, baby. Uh, no, I'm taking. Hey, I'm taking the, this. The SEC team. this year is gonna be just absolutely fucking disgusting. I'm taking this Florida Al- team over. I'm taking this Florida team over Kentucky, man. Give me, give me that. Give me that over. You uh, might not even be good. You never. I mean, who knows, man? Justin, you, Justin Edwards, twenty six usage. Um, yeah, Savonimir so so uh, uh, oh, starting geez. minutes. Uh, I hadn't. E- I hadn't even started thinking about this coming college season in terms of like team expectations, and you just like sent me in this down spiral. Once I started thinking about all these SEC <laughs> teams, man, uh, I didn't realize it was so dire. Arkansas might play the most disgusting form of basketball and still be my favorite in the conference. Oh, A and M, A and M will be good. They they're returning. Like That's everybody. what I was about to say. Like, is A and M going to be like a top three team in the SEC? That's no good. I know they were last year too, but like it wasn't like a real. Top, no one actually thought they were top. I refuse to root for just a pain in the ass too. So hopefully they're bad. Yeah. Um. But yeah. No. Uh. Is A and is that where Anderson Garcia plays? I always get him. Yeah. Mixed. Okay. I always get them in Mississippi State mixed up for some reason because like. Their uniforms look exactly the same to me. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, they have Garcia. They have Marble, who's kind of funky. Uh, you know, Solomon Washington. Uh, people like reason, Washington. People, I haven't seen him much. I'm people not, will talk about Coleman, but he's not very good. He uh, is not. Their, remember their guard compared, rotation. Remember people compared him to Zion when he first went to Duke? Do you guys remember oh, that? Dude, don't I you don't. Get, dude. Oh, man. Yeah. When Harry Coleman first went to Duke, there were people, I think, legitimate maybe not in terms of like prospect dumb but we're like oh he'll play the zion role for duke i'm like what role did zion play unstoppable paint beast yeah good luck playing that as literally any other human being on the planet what the fuck are you talking about hey believe me i'm from richmond virginia and i was so excited to see both efton reed and henry coleman get to college and this has not been great (laughs) i was like oh here, here come two high level bigs from richmond let's go and uh Went over two. I'm trying to. Richmond's produced some guys though, right? Like I'm. I'm trying to think like who else has been. I mean, Efton Reed obviously really. Not it, it's out, been but... a minute. Uh, I think I don't know if Ed Davis is originally from Richmond, but he did play high school in Richmond. That counts. Uh, that counts. Yeah, you know, there, there are a few guys. 
You just that's like like we we in Washington claim uh, claim Michael Porter Jr. right because he played at Nathan Hale, which is in Seattle. So, but but hey, John Marshall High School number one in the country last year. Uh, I used to watch my own home high school play them every year to to see them emerge the way they have has been incredible. Uh, because to me, it was just a, a public high school that we used to play against. Uh, and, and believe me, we didn't have any NBA guys on our roster. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's, uh, that's how I felt about, uh, like when federal way was really good for like those three, four years when the McDaniels brothers were there and it was like, Oh, like this is what it's like to be like for public school in the state of Washington to be relevant. That's cool. Cause I mean, Washington used to be like, I want to say like, uh, Quinn Snyder played like, like was really good here um and there's someone else some other white point guard i always want to say kirk heinrich but i feel like that's wrong and it's actually um someone else but my my hoops knowledge local hoops knowledge is more recent so um but yeah quinn snyder shout out malachi flynn shout out um anyways garrett this has been incredible as always uh you're one of our you're one of our favorites to have on and thanks for carving out basically two and a half hours uh for two weeks straight to do this with us so <laughs> Let people know where they can find out. Of course, tag you and all your stuff down below. But let people hear it from your mouth where they can find everything. Uh, at Half Awake Takes and in Bryson Cooper's mentions. That's where you can find me. Oh, yeah. No, he's always he's always in there somewhere. No, this was uh, – Garrett, this was great. We really can't thank you enough, uh, not only for putting up with us and for coming on the pod, but also I think you bring a really valuable and unique perspective, and that's what this podcast is all about. I think that's like – something that you know uh originally drew the three of us together was coop stone and i was that we all kind of saw the game just a little different you know coop as a uh water polo player or whatever coop did uh stone as a street baller and you know whatever and garrett i think you really fit into that is just i think you brought a really fun perspective for these last two pods and i i promise this will not be the last time we have you on so for Coop at Ali underscore Oop for Garrett again, follow him at Half Awake Takes. That's all lowercase Half Awake Takes. Um, he's got a nice little picture with the with the Hawaiian shirt on up there, and I know because I'm a fellow Hawaiian shirt enthusiast. So uh, you know that's that's my vibe. That's uh, that's I, I I I will someday wear one of those to my wedding reception. I just I feel it in my bones. Um, so yeah, uh, this has been great, guys. Uh, give us a like, rating, review, all that fun stuff. This has been the Upside Swings to be a draft podcast. We hope with your ceiling. Thank you.